Alu, right? Yeah. Uh, Alu. Alu, gotcha. Okay, we're live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates on tonight's show. I have a very special guest. His name is Elliot Axelman. He also goes by Alu, and he published a book in June 2021. The title of the book is Corona Fascism, How Politicians Used a Virus to Eliminate Privacy, Enrich Themselves, and Put the Final Nail in Liberty's Coffin. I just read the book. It has a uh, chock full of information and facts about this whole corona situation, and he can talk more about that. Uh, so, Elliot, are you there? Or Alu? Yes, sir. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, no, great. Thanks. Thanks for uh, agreeing to the interview. Do you? Would you prefer Elliot or Alu? Uh, Alu, Alu, or Alu. Elliot is fine. Okay, Elliot. I just know Elliot because I just kept looking at it. So. For people who may not have heard your background, can you talk about your background and what you led, what led you to write this book? Sure. I've been in EMS, Emergency Medical Services, for about 10 years. Started in the fall of 2011, right out of high school. So it's been my, my career my whole life. I was EMT for a few years, been a paramedic, I think, six years now. So of a flight and critical care certified and all that junk. So I've been in EMS in, in 911 settings, mostly in New York. Uh, New York City, Bronx, Westchester counties, and, and Long Island, Nassau, and Suffolk, and a lot of interfacility transport, some critical transfer type stuff between hospitals. So patients on ventilators and IV pumps and all that jazz. So about 10 years in medicine now, and I've seen obviously a lot of very, very interesting things. And Corona fascism over the last two years has been the most mind-blowing thing, just totally mind-boggling. I can't get over it, how something so insane is happening. And by insane, I mean how the politicians are inflating numbers, manipulating people, taking away liberties for something that is so, so, so mild, and in most cases negligible or comparable to a cold or a flu. And it's just been the most insane thing I've seen. And that that's why I had to write this, this book about it. I was not planning to write about it. There are other books about it, but I wanted to write my perspective. There are a few other books. I think I'm the only person with a medical background as opposed to just politics who wrote the book. That, and that's why I wanted to inform people as fast as I could. And did you find, I mean, you've been working, I assume, during the last year and a half. Did you see or perceive uh, any increase in kind of these types of illnesses or something specific to the coronavirus during your job? No. Um, right now, I'm currently working in New Hampshire in a primarily inner facility system. So we service hospitals for uh, facilities, so hospitals, nursing homes, and other types of facilities with a lot of inner facility transport. Um, so as far, on the, as far as the 901 side, I couldn't say if there's more calls for difficulty breathing or, or other COVID symptoms, but with interfacility transfers, meaning the super critical patients who are transferred down to bigger hospitals, and we do discharges back to other facilities from the hospital, I have, I've seen very few cases where someone went to the hospital for COVID. I've seen a few positive tests where someone tested positive for COVID, but they were there for, you know, isolated trauma to the foot. So I've seen very few, a few cases where people had COVID and they were there for most likely a COVID issue, like pneumonia developed or other COVID complications developing, and they eventually went to an ICU. Very, very few over the last year and a half, two years. Um, yeah, I mean, a, a bunch but, of tests. A lot of people are, everyone's being tested now, right? The last year and a half, every single person who goes to a hospital is being tested, which again, this is one of the things I discussed in the book. This is the first time in history where every single person, even if they have no issue at all, if they walk into a hospital, if you break your toe and you go to a hospital, you will get a COVID test. And until the test comes back negative, which could take hours or days, you will be presumed to have the virus. And again, it's a presumption of guilt issue. It's a due process issue. And it's just an insanity issue where never before in history of existence has humanity and medicine, modern medicine, or going back to Hippocrates, you know, going back a million years even. We've never presumed someone to have a certain disease. 
and have the burden, burden of proof on them. If I walk up to you and I say, I presume you have tuberculosis, prove to me you don't, it should be the opposite way around. I should have to prove to you that you have it. You shouldn't have to prove to me you don't have it. So th that's ridiculous. Everyone's being tested. And whenever there's a pending test and we're transferring someone for an unrelated issue and the test is pending, we do have to do the full suit up and full COVID PPE with N95s and gowns and everything because we have to presume they have it, which again, it's, it's insanity. And it's really sad to see medics, nurses, doctors, I, I used to trust forcing people to do insane things like monkeys jumping through hoops, presuming everyone has the virus until the test comes back negative. And then, you know, right before we take the patient, they'll say, oh, it's negative. Of course it was negative. You could take your gown off. It's right. just it's a ridiculous thing we're doing. And we're all playing just crazy clown games. No, it really is crazy. It is like a public mania or like the madness of crowds or something where the propaganda has been so effective and the fear has outweighed the, you know, the benefits. And you said like, how many people have actually been exposed and already have natural immunity? That's really what the real pass card you should have is somebody who has the code, not the not taking the shots. Uh, but you talk about that in your book as well. Um, can you talk about what, the way things changed? What was happening before this Mar March of 2020 and how it changed after? Well, I think one of the first chapters in the book is, is BC and the, the times known as, as BC is now going to be before COVID. And, you know, I'm, I'm not that big into sensationalism, sensationalism. So a lot of people would say COVID ruined everything. That's not necessarily the case. The world, the United States, every state, every state in the U.S. had very, very little freedom. We had essentially soft socialism or venture socialism. We had very, very little freedom before COVID. COVID just... Um, gave it a massive catalyst and a big, big boost for taking away freedom. We had very few freedoms. Obviously, we had diminishing privacy, diminishing personal liberty, increasing taxes and regulations, increasing, you know, uh, gun control and regulations and, and foreign wars and inflation. We had we were in a horrible, horrible dire straits throughout the United States and the world before COVID. But COVID, instead of slowly getting worse and worse, COVID ramped it up with tremendous catalyst with how quickly. And now instead of taking years to lose a certain amount of liberty, now, every week, we are losing tremendous amounts of liberty. So I think COVID just increased the uh, graph of how much liberty we're losing or, or how much liberty we have diminishing. It just plummeted in a massive short time frame of a year and almost comparable to like a uh, Holocaust or something like that, where you see a society losing so much freedom, tremendous amounts in a short period, like a few months. So that, that's what I would compare it to. We're, we lost so much freedom in the past year. And people talk about a new normal. Will we get back to the old normal or new normal? The old normal is gone. We're never again going to be in a world without Corona fascism, without um, emergency use executive orders by every all 50 dictators right. in the U.S. We're never going to have contact tracing go away. You know, now we have these apps on our phones, people contact tracing, vaccine passports. It's a new normal and you can't unring the bell. You can't put a tyrannical genie back in the bottle. It's out now and we're going to have these types of tyranny forever. No, that's a great point. Like we're we're there. Like I don't know if it'll ever be rolled back, but they really pumped up the lethality of this disease. And what's turned out is that if you look at, I mean, what's the, depends whose statistics you're looking at. But some of these statistics that you mentioned in your book, there's no appreciable increase in deaths in 2020. Correct? Yeah, that's a great point. That it's one of the most important things in all of current fascism. The overall deaths. So the, the total number of deaths, people who die per year from old age or natural causes and trauma and everything, heart disease, which is the biggest killer, which people forget about, 
the total number of deaths in 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021, there actually has, has not been any significant increase. It's the same, that same stable number every year, 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020. Throughout 2020, when the corona fascist fear mongers are claiming that in 2020, everyone and their mother was dropping dead, which again, I don't know of a single person who died. The bodies, at least in New Hampshire, are not piled up in the streets like they claim, and not in New York either. Um, the overall increase in deaths has, has not happened. So, and, and I think Daniel Harways in his podcast talks about this a lot, and it's, it's a good point. The people who are the next to die, meaning the, the super old, super sick, so maybe someone with 85 with cancer and obesity, they are, are slated to die either the next time they get the flu or cold or coronavirus, you know, any virus or any infection or a trip and fall. And I've seen this a lot of someone who's 85 and very old on blood thinners and, and their vessels are already very uh, weak. They fall or one thing happens and that is the catalyst to kill them because they right. are very close to death. They have core morbidities, right? Exactly. So, yeah. so as far as the low hanging fruit theory of those who are the most infirm, the most elderly, the most vulnerable to dying, they will die first. So if those people were going to die from the next infection, it could have been the flu that killed them, technically killed them. It could have been a fall. Again, tons of people die from a trip and fall. They bump their head and they die because they are very old and sick and generally on blood thinners with very, very weak vessels that can tear and bleed a lot. They die. So they, these people, let's say a few hundred thousand elderly, were going to die in 2020 anyway, or they were going to die from the next big flu or the next big virus. It happened to be COVID that killed them. And I'm sure COVID did kill a few hundred thousand people who were probably going to die the next right time. On they the edge, right there. I mean, all nursing homes and stuff like that, very vulnerable people anyway. Yeah. Right. So there was that, but oh, the, the big point is that the, the total number of deaths, there were essentially no excess deaths in 2020 where there should have been. And and probably the best measure to measure a pandemic, there are a lot of ways to measure it, you know, cases, we'll get into cases, fatalities and all that stuff, infections, ICU admissions. But one of the best ways to measure, uh, you know, societally is, was there an increase in, in excess deaths over right. the baseline? If normally a million people in the US die a year and one year, 7 million people die, then that is a tremendous pandemic. If a million people die every year and next year a million people died, just less of the flu, but more of COVID, that's essentially negligible. It's meaningless. It means that instead of flu, which we know we know from all the statistics, the flu disappeared by around 99%. So again, because of the, the viral competition, for some reason, COVID boxed out the flu. Either it boxed it out or overcounting COVID and undercounting flu. Either way, the total number of deaths of deaths has remained the same, meaning society is you know, we shouldn't be taking any major precautions because it's not like there's anything different than the flu. Now, there's one big difference that I found between the flu and COVID, and it's good news, not bad news. COVID is not as bad as the flu for one major reason. The flu kills people generally throughout the population from old and young and sick and healthy indiscriminately, you know, correcting for obviously being older, they're more likely to die. But some kids did die of the flu. A few hundred kids die of the flu, they get severe flu, and it can affect some kids. COVID spares children. COVID is just something, either it's the ACE2 inhibitors in the lungs, it's an enzyme that you only get in puberty and when you get way older, for whatever the reason is, I don't know. But kids essentially get, get almost never get COVID, almost never get severely ill if they do get it, and almost never spread it. And there are tons of studies throughout the book that prove this. So as far as everyone, consider it very similar to the flu. All the statistics on how infectious it is and how deadly is very similar to the flu. So the flu kills, could kill 80,000, COVID maybe could kill 80,000 too, but not 600,000 like they claim, and we'll get into their stats later, and not right. you know, millions and millions of bodies piling up. The one big difference is the kids are less vulnerable. Now that the flu is gone and COVID replaced it, kids are literally safer now. So we should be less nervous and paranoid about kids playing outside and licking the right. dog and 
and eating off the ground and, and you know, uh, being with a hundred other people in a small room and hugging and kissing people, we should be less nervous now because COVID does not affect kids as much as the flu. So that's the one big difference. Right. And I mean, you and you have a chapter in your book where they're doing the opposite. We need to do these regulations to protect the kids. And that's always kind of in any situation, whether it's Corona or not, that's the Washingtonian kind of excuse. We're doing it for the children. We're keeping the children safe because everybody just responds. Oh, yeah, we got to keep the kids safe. They don't want to be like putting kids at risk. So it's, it's, a, it's a very useful phrase and all kinds of situations. Of course, it gets emotional. Think of the children and they say you want children to die if you don't believe in whatever welfare or fascism program. Now, the interesting thing I've seen the last few weeks is the vaccines have been approved or it was emergency use approved up until a few days ago for adults above 12 or 16 or whatever. And the kids couldn't get it. So what we saw was a lot of adults were still paranoid and still wore a mask or two masks. But a lot of adults took off the mask because they got vaccinated, which at least has some logical, you know, uh, some sense to it. It's supposed to, right? But they kept the kids in the masks because they said, my 12-year-old, unfortunately, he's under 12. He can't get a vaccine yet, so he has to wear a mask. So the last few weeks, I'm seeing more kids in masks than adults, which, again, they think it's logical, but it's still illogical because kids are less likely to die of COVID than the other, you know, million different things that kill kids. Right. Car crashes, accidents, drowning. You are you probably more likely to have your kid die by a lightning strike than COVID. Like they've probably been exposed to. Like that's really the other thing is like they've already beat it, but uh, or at least there's some right. And but you talk about how uh, the masking itself is even of questionable veracity, uh, effectiveness, right? Yeah, well, there are two big things: effectiveness and safety. And as far as the masks, whether they're effective, the the different levels are just cotton homemade masks which most people who look at any data or just have any common sense agree that they're roughly 100% ineffective. They have essentially zero effect, the, the cotton homemade masks. The surgical type masks that medical people do wear in, in surgery in a lot of environments is what we wear at work for the most part, unless we have to wear it on five. Those probably have roughly zero protection against COVID as well for a few reasons, but maybe 5% effectiveness against COVID, which is still, in this context, it's still negligible. And then N95 masks, some state could have a little bit of effect against COVID, but still generally pretty ineffective. I don't know if it's 30 or 40% effective, but generally even N95 are, according to all the studies on the flu, which is similar, but a little bit um, bigger than COVID. Now that the COVID molecule is a little smaller than the flu, it's going to be obviously going to penetrate the N95 masks even better. The N95 masks, I think it was uh, 0.3 microns, but I believe the COVID molecule, the, the one particle could be 0.1 microns, so still way smaller than the holes. So think flea going through a chickenwire fence. It's really not going to do much to stop it. So even NI5, according to the, the studies, does not protect against the flu, meaning definitely doesn't protect against, against the uh, COVID. So all the masks don't work. And most people out in the stores in Walmart are wearing surgical masks and around half are wearing the cotton masks. Totally doesn't do anything. But so there's the efficacy. And then on the other side, there's the safety. Is it safe? What we heard for the last year and a half from a lot of the elites was that the masks have no downside. There's no... Uh, negative consequences. So just put on the darn mask, you know, think of the children, think of the old people, don't be selfish, don't kill people. You're being evil, Alu, just, you know, don't kill people. Wear the mask, there's nothing wrong with it. There are, and in the book, I go through a whole bunch of issues with the mask. Um, on a simple level, without getting into biology, we breathe in oxygen and, and we do metabolism in the cellular level and we exhale CO2, the byproduct. CO2 converts to carbonic acid. It converts to acid in the body. If we can't exhale CO2, our CO2 levels increase and our, we become acidotic, so our, our pH goes down. We become more acidotic because of carbonic acid buildup. So the less anything restricting breathing, and this is, by, by the way, why most chokes kill people. 
most chokes either can, if you can't breathe out or if you're suffocating, it's, it's the oxygen can't get in, but probably more so is that the CO2 can't get out. So if you were uh, choking on something, you couldn't move air in or out. They're both bad. You do need oxygen and you do need to get CO2 out. So uh, the mask restricts both oxygen intake. And I have a study in there of even surgeons, even with surgical masks, it, it does decrease the oxygen within, within, I believe, an hour. It decreases the oxygen saturation. Now, you can compensate if your heart rate increases, your breath rate and depth increases. But again, you're forcing people to work harder. So the oxygen can go down. The CO2 can go up because it's elevated. Also, it makes a moist, humid, warm environment, which is exactly where viruses and bacteria want to be. You know, I think the more warm and humid environment, I believe it's better for bacteria and viruses to uh, stay alive and eventually get deeper. An interesting phenomenon also is that when you're wearing a mask, and even me, who's literally in, in peak, peak shape, I'm, you know, running five miles, boxing, I could box for an hour straight and, and all that stuff. Even me, when I put on a surgical mask, it makes my breathing a little heavier. Now, put on some gear and walk upstairs or lift patients or, or, you know, start running around like people are doing with their masks all day, and you're going to be breathing deeper, right? You have to move more air in and more air out because there's, you're restricted now. As you breathe deeper, a deep breath, that takes all the junk that was on the mask because the mask is dirty because you put it in your pocket, you know, for the last month. Like, even doctors and nurses and medics and lay people are using masks for months at a time. Right. It has, obviously, tons of bacteria and viruses on it. But now you're not only breathing them, so you're bringing the virus instead of here, you're bringing it right to the entrance of your airway. Not only are you bringing it, giving it a free ride to the entrance of your airway, which is your mouth area and your nose, but you're taking a super deep breath, which can draw the virus and bacteria all the way to the bottom of your lung, your alveoli, your terminal cell, where, where the airways end. And you know that's obviously the border with the blood. So if you want to guarantee pneumonia, guaranteed infection with, you know, Put it into all the way to the bottom of your lung. That's probably gives it the highest chance of actually infecting you. So that's why we might be seeing a ton more pneumonia. And this is my theory. I don't know if there are studies on this yet, but you're bringing viruses and bacteria all the way to the bottom of your lung by bringing it here and then taking a huge deep breath. So those are just a few of the issues with, with the masks. Also, just the, the chronic for the last year and a half, hypoxia, low oxygen, hypercapnia, high CO2 because you can't get the carbon dioxide out. That we don't know. There are not a lot of studies, I don't think, in this context of of chronic mild because it's not you know super severe hypercapnia and hypoxia people aren't you know dying of oxygen sap below 60s in uh with masks i don't think that's happening very often but mild even an oxygen saturation of 90 or 85 percent for a few hours a day for a year probably can do some form of brain damage to you and you know with with copd you probably see some of this but there are hypoxic brain injuries for sure so are we now the symptoms of mild hypoxia and again i've seen some of this with patients and, and with you know myself mild mildly low co uh, oxygen or mildly high co2 you can have mild symptoms you, you will be lethargic eventually you'll, you'll be weak and tired you could be dizzy irritable anxious maybe any ultra mental status maybe angry irritable maybe uh happy so if your oxygen is a little bit too low like 90 or 85 or 80 and i've seen patients that are around 80 75 percent their oxygen so low their brain's not getting enough oxygen and they start becoming super irritable or super anxious. And I gave them oxygen and they calm right down. So you can have some of that as well. So what's interesting is people who are getting weak or a little bit, you know, weak or dizzy or forgetful or anxious, they might think those are COVID symptoms or something else, but it could just be the hypoxia or hypercapnia. Right. So that's another big issue. Right. And they've changed their standards on masks, right? It hasn't Redfield and some of these other characters um, said, oh, masks aren't helpful. So why are they mandating it? Yeah, I mean, the moving over the goalposts and the switching back and forth between it's a consensus, it's settled science, also the science evolves every day. The next day it's settled science, then the science evolves every day. 
the, the moving of the goalposts is one of the great themes throughout throughout coronafascism. Yeah, the CDC director, Dr. Robert Redfield, said, I believe he said the masks don't work. A bunch of other health officials, including Dr. Lord Fauci, said himself that masks don't work. And then, you know, a few months later, they changed their tune because they realized that instead of practicing actual scientific method type medicine recommendations for public policy, let's make coronafascism and scare the people with paranoia. So they said, you need to wear masks. Then Fauci said two masks. Then he said, wear goggles. That didn't really catch on, the goggles thing. Sure. But he did say it at a point. Because technically, mucous membranes in the eye and all over can uh, accept the virus. You can catch it. Most viruses probably through mucous membranes. So technically, we should wear goggles. And, and at work, a lot of hospitals and nursing homes do want us to wear eye protection when we enter. So, you know, again, if you're going to be logically consistent, you should wear a, a full 100% N95 super duper uh, level three, whatever the highest level PPE is with N95s and and uh, face mask and all that stuff, if you're going to be consistent, because COVID is, again, the, the smallest of all the, the viral particles. So, yeah, it's incredible when how they switched from don't wear a mask, stop buying masks, to everyone has to wear a mask 100% of the time. And then they kept moving the goalposts, right? They right. said, wear a mask until we can get herd immunity or the vaccine. Then the vaccine was approved a few months ago. Then they said, well, you still got to wear a mask because we need two shots, not really one. You need two, just two doses, no problem. Wear the mask until we get two doses. Then they said that this Delta variant, so this vaccine doesn't work against the Delta variant at all, so keep wearing a mask forever until we get a vaccine for the Delta variant. Then they said, if you said, why get the vaccine if the Delta variant is the predominant variant now? Why get the vaccine if it's useless? Then they say, no, it's not useless because it's still totally useful while being simultaneously totally useless, and here's how. Because if you get the Delta variant of COVID and you have the vaccine, maybe you won't get such you know as severe symptoms, maybe, but you can still totally get it and spread it and die of it even with the vaccine, you can still contract it, still spread it. And that's what they're saying. Right. So at the same time, the vaccine, even if you get it, you can still get it, die from it and spread the virus. But you might be a bit more likely to get it and spread it and die from it if you don't get the vaccine. So for that tiny difference against the Delta variant, you should get the vaccine, but also get the third dose and also get the Delta variant type. And again, I think there are going to be vaccines, either different variants or different doses, different uh, boosters of vaccines going forward every month. Perpetuity, or two. yeah, in perpetuity. There's too much yeah. money involved. Yeah. And I think it's deliberately, they're deliberately confusing people. I think they're, they're actually are, that is a, there's a method to their madness in that regard. I do believe that that's part of it. And why should we, why should we trust these experts who are revolving door guys who have been in private uh, practice and all, I mean, some of these guys, are they, are they trustworthy? Yeah, I don't, I don't trust anyone in, in D.C. Anyone who's been in D.C. for more than a decade, I don't consider them a doctor. I'm sorry. Did Dr. Fauci go to med school and get an M.D.? Doesn't matter to me. If you've been in D.C. for 50 years, which I, I think he has 50 years or 38 years, him and Burks were in D.C. for a total of like 40 years, I think. I don't trust you. If you're in D.C. that long and you spend more time in the Capitol than in a medical center like a hospital or a clinic or a doctor office, then, yeah, you're a politician, my friend. You yeah. know, you could uh, have, have a doctorate, but still, once you're in politics, you're a politician. Fauci has been in politics. He's been in the NIH for uh, th uh, three, four, five decades now. goes so back to AIDS, the AIDS politics. crisis in the 90s, right? So he's at least exactly. 30 years. He, he was in some controversy, if I remember correctly, back with the, with the AIDS issues uh, right. decades ago. So he's had a lot of controversy. He's been a politician forever. And now he's the most powerful man on earth. And now I think he's just power drunk. But if, if you just look at, just follow the money. <clears> and in the book, I didn't do a ton of this, but if you just follow the money, I mean, I have one chapter on it. Look at who's made billions over the past year. And again, I think I'm optimistic that the American people and people all over the world are not that dumb. They understand what follow the money means. They understand when uh, the CCP, China government, makes billions and billions or trillions because 
almost all the masks and gowns and gloves is manufactured in China, even if it's made by uh, 3M or some big company here. You know, a lot of their factories are in China. Right. If China is making billions, if 3M is making billions, Moderna and Pfizer are making billions, people, most people understand what follow the money means. They get the concept. They understand Xi Jinping has made probably trillions off this. He also had a lot of other benefits of corona fascism, whether it was leaked from the lab, lab on purpose or somewhat on purpose, or they were developing a bioweapon and that leaked, whatever it was. You know, China has a, a lot of issues and a lot of to blame with this, and just they benefited. So look at the anyone could look. This is public. Look at the the stock price of Moderna, Pfizer. I think they're right. publicly traded. Uh, 3M. They're making a billion dollars a month. Like yep. incredible. Projections for next year is you know more thirty billion, extra thirty billion just off the viruses, the uh, vaccines, and then if they get the shots in perpetuity every two months, that's guaranteed cash flow. Now it doesn't. People don't necessarily realize this because they're not paying for it, right? When I go to get the vaccine, I'm not paying because it's government subsidized, so taxpayers. So taxpayers pay, and it's indirect. The government uses money from taxpayers, or more uh, accurately, from borrowing or printing money. They're using money to give Pfizer or Moderna or J&J billions and billions and billions, and or subsidizing it via the pharmacies. And then people get the shots, and they think, oh, it's a free shot, free healthcare. And then you know, but they're making billions. So all you have to do is look at the the you know valuations, the the prices, how much money these big pharma giants have made, and and you can see. But also, following the money, look at the other big companies that have at least benefited benefited a lot, like all the stay that you know they're calling the, the pandemic or the stay at home companies from Amazon, where people are ordering on Amazon even more now because the, the stores were literally shut down by politicians who said we will send police to go and physically shut down your store or arrest you or kill you. So Amazon is getting even more business. So. If the brick and mortar stores were dying because Amazon was beating them, which is fine because it was somewhat from natural competition, which is fine because I'm, I'm a capitalist. But they were dying brick and mortar stores because Amazon was beating them fairly. But now the politicians came in and just put the final nail in the, in the coffin and totally just kicked them while they were down the brick and mortar stores and probably killed off half of them, which never come back to life. Never come back. A lot of mom and pop stores, even in L.A., gone. So all the big ones, Costco, Target, all these places where you could go and shop or could deliver stuff they thrived under the, the so there's a huge wealth transfer it's up away from uh you know kind of the people yep. and, and you know zoom as well obviously did phenomenally well and they're i think involved with chinese government as well uh you know walmart and all the big companies so if you look at all, all these companies that have benefited and they're also companies who are very much in washington we know amazon right is in washington we know they have lobbyists and we know they probably own half the congress same with walmart and walmart and, Probably Zoom and probably all the other massive companies. Walmart owns part owes part of its overwhelming what you could call success in their lobbying efforts to make sure that they were unregulated and doing a lot of stuff. So they're the part of their business strategy was definitely getting their hooks into Washington. A lot of these other businesses as well. Of course. And adaptability is a big thing. The the bigger and stronger you are, the more adaptable you are. I can adapt to certain things that maybe a baby couldn't adapt to. Walmart, when they said you have to do certain things, certain COVID restrictions, um, pay a certain amount and do, you know, vaccines and gloves and masks and you have to wipe down everything. Someone at Walmart told me, I asked why they were closing early during the pandemic. Does the pandemic, you know, come out at night? And they said they're closing at eight instead of 11 because they have to spend like, you know, five or 10 hours at night cleaning. They, so they come in and they clean the whole store from COVID every night. So again, Walmart can afford that. They have a few bucks of wiggle room. They have some cash. But the mom and pop shop that sells similar stuff locally in my town cannot adapt. 
they can't spend 10 hours at night cleaning the store. They can't afford it. So they get right. business. So it's things like this where the, just the adaptability where Amazon, obviously Amazon doesn't really have the brick and mortar stores. Walmart does. But the big companies can adapt so much easier. So when you do certain, you know, minor inconveniences, it kills off the smaller ones. You know, if, if there's two feet of water, it kills off the toddlers, but the adults are still alive because they're taller because they're bigger. They can adapt better. So that's another interesting concept we saw happen the last, the last year and a half. Right. And also the other thing was these huge, um, you know, bills that were passed, these, uh, you know, emergency bills, trillion dollar bills, bailout bills really for Wall Street. So you saw even more wealth transfers. The people got a little bit of money, but uh, the government made sure that Wall Street was taken care of, correct? Well, I think with all these stimulus bills, the big stimulus omnibus bills, I think the federal budget every year, the federal government spends about $5 trillion. Just with COVID, they spent an extra six to ten trillion extra on top of that. So we're you know doubling or tripling the annual spending on COVID. But they're only spending for you know giving stimulus bills of fourteen hundred bucks or six hundred bucks to people who were put out of work. Now, who put them out of work? Politicians, of course. But they're saying COVID, but it wasn't COVID. Again, here in New Hampshire, very few people have, have died from COVID. Almost, I think one hundred percent of them were like over seventy or over eighty. Uh, right. So the government put us out of work, and then like you know the government's going to break your legs. The government will give you a wheelchair and then say, oh, look, I gave you a wheelchair. You wouldn't walk if not for me. So the government created the problem and they fixed it. But yeah, the, the stimulus bills that, and all the uh, extra money going out for COVID, it only went to those who really, really need it. Like Pelosi and her husband, you know, they really needed a stimulus. Chuck Schumer and Elaine Chao, um, they really needed a stimulus bill. So, that, you know, they got some money here and, you know, uh, Amazon, Walmart. Yeah. Oh, it only went to those who were, who were really, really close to bankruptcy, obviously, the big stimulus bills. Right. And also there were monies placed out. You mentioned that hospitals got a certain lump sum for dealing with COVID. So there was a real finance uh, element where things were being placed to make sure the whole COVID uh, emergency was maintained. Would you agree with that? A few things for the hospitals. And then we'll talk about the state dictators. I don't call them governors anymore. I call them dictators. I'll explain why. So as far as the hospitals, yeah, early on, we saw that the hospitals were being financially incentivized by the federal government whether it's uh, CMS or, or FDA, some federal government entity was literally giving hospitals money, like $13,000 or $37,000 a pop to say there were COVID cases. So if I give you money to do something, you're more inclined to do that. It's it's obviously sure. very, very simple psychology. If you give me a million dollars to say the word COVID. You got COVID right here. Right. So all the stats yeah. are, are biased, right? That yes. Makes all so, the so that work. nullifies or at least puts into the question all of the statistics. Pretty much, I believe... It was every admission, every time you admit someone to a hospital and you list COVID as the reason or one of the reasons for admitting them, it was an extra $13,000 from, from uh, Medicare, Medicaid reimbursement from CMS. And if you put them on a ventilator and you say COVID is the reason or one of the reasons, you get $39,000, I believe. So $39,000 a pop. Of course, if you could do a few thousand, this hospital, a small or medium-sized hospital or big hospital, can make a few extra million dollars a month, maybe. So that right away when I saw that, and this was pretty on, this is like over a year ago. Right away, I saw, okay, well, you know, it doesn't take a genius to figure out all the statistics are now biased. You have to question all the stats when they're doing this. But there were a, even more important ways that the statistics were inflated that led me to write the massive article I wrote. It's been read like five, ten thousand times now, the big article on all the reasons why the statistics are garbage. One of the big things that we now know about is the cycle thresholds. The PCR essentially amplifies, I think it doubles it. So it let's say it doubles the uh, viral sample. So you might take a sample from someone and then magnify it by doubling it. So every time it you know exponentially increases, there's doubling. 
So if you double it 20 times, now you can see whether there's a certain amount of virus that's detectable in, in some manner. Now, uh, PCR tests, the way they work, I think uh, polyamorous chain reaction or something, the way they work is you amplify it a certain amount of times, and then you see how many times must it be amplified to uh, be positive for that viral, for that particular virus. In general, I think in the past, from what, I, from what I've read, you, it's recommended to do a 20, around 20 or 25 cycles of amplification. And then you can see if there's a virus. With COVID, it's now public knowledge that they, they were doing it 35 or 40 or 45 times. They were amplifying it, meaning you're going to get some error, some bias in there because it'll be Obviously, if there's less viral load or no viral load, it'll amplify it so much that there is. And right. and this is what they've been doing forever until Biden was elected. The day, the day Biden was elected, changed. There's no more need. The right. WHO, the World Health Organization, officially came out and said, "Oh, we, we finally realized we were making a big mistake. We're overcounting, you know, by by who knows how many percentages, like a thousand percent. Let's go down to like 20 cycle thresholds instead of 40." Obviously, like V-Day, he was right. inaugurated, I believe, the day he was elected. So obviously, you know, there was that. But just that made me realize, okay, and, and people were uh, testing inanimate objects, you know, a chicken or a rock or a piece of Right, rock. I heard that, yeah. And positive for COVID, yeah. Like yeah. things things that, that there was like zero chance it had COVID. Like, you know, a chicken probably could have COVID, but they were testing things right. that were like essentially sterile, things that could not right. have COVID. And it was positive because they were amplifying it so much. So right after that, between that, and the hospitals being paid to literally call it COVID, I realized that the statistics realistically could be inflated. The statistics we're seeing might be overcounting by a factor of multiplied by 10 or 100 or 1,000. So they really might might be 1,000 times less cases and less COVID deaths than the official statistics because the ridiculous insanity they're doing by amplifying it so much with the PCR tests, with calling everything COVID and giving them $39,000 to call it a COVID case. Just the incentives are all mixed up. Yeah, it's you all. Know, and the correct. third massive thing that yeah. was, you know, probably even more important was they were calling everything COVID. And and you know there are quotes throughout the book of, of uh, respiratory therapists and doctors and nurses saying they were calling everything COVID. And here's how they do it. Pretty much in medicine, there are various symptoms, right? Some are more common, some are less common. Let's say there are 50 big symptoms. There's chest pain, headache, uh, other pain, there's difficulty breathing, there's anxiety, there's rapid heart rate, slow heart rate, rapid breathing, slow breathing. So there are 50 symptoms. Some are very common. A headache is very common. Feeling weak or tired is extremely common. 99% of diseases or, or ailments can cause feeling weak or tired, right? right, right. Uh, a rapid heart rate, meaning a rate over 100 is considered rapid in medicine. A rate over 100 is, is probably prevalent in 95% of ailments that bring people to the hospital, right? So if you're in a hospital, probably 95% of people at some point during their stay have tachycardia, which is a fast heart rate, right? What they did is they 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 progressively expanded the list of COVID symptoms that are, you know, part of the COVID uh, symptom set from just difficulty breathing, because it generally gets in the lungs and gives you pneumonia, from difficulty breathing and cough to also headache, also weakness, tachycardia, bradycardia, tachypnea, uh, hypoventilation, um, anxiety, this, that, the other, diarrhea, nausea, every single thing, chest pain, pain anywhere else, any headache, any cough, any single thing in the universe, every symptom, which are all very general, they said, okay, it's COVID. So every person in the hospital, and this is where it got really crazy, they're saying, you don't even need to test anymore because now if someone has tachycardia, if their heart rate is over 100, it is 100% COVID. You don't need to test because we know for sure it's COVID, right? Everyone has a heart rate over 100 or a breathing rate of over 20, which again, 99% of people in the hospital will have a breathing rate over 20 and or tachycardia. Let's call it COVID. So when, once I saw the official documents come down from the federal government telling hospitals, 
if someone dies and during their big hospital admission, which was, you know, most likely sepsis, not, like most people die eventually of sepsis, right? Before they die, they have sepsis. So part of sepsis, most people have tachycardia, low blood pressure, weakness, which are all part of the symptoms of COVID now. They're saying you don't even need a test. Even if there was no test on the death, death certificate, write COVID because they were tachycardic. So anyone who at any point in the hospital had a heart rate that was fast or slow, which again is everyone, and then they died, call it COVID even without a test. And, and that's when I realized literally 100% of deaths could be attributed to COVID, meaning we're just in a clown world. So I don't know what to do. Right. But I mean, you, I think you're right. And I think it's correct that this panic was used by the politicians for a variety of reasons. One was to get rid of Trump, right? Yeah, I, I think at some point, I don't know if it was uh, totally planned or not planned, but it was definitely used. Maybe, maybe the politicians are opportunists. They used this, which is to be expected, against Trump. And we knew from the beginning, this I think anyone who follows politics knows, because I've been you know, analyzing and writing about politics for years now as well. We know they're going to use it against the incumbent president, which is natural. When Afghanistan happened, the right uses it against, uses it against Biden. Whether it's warranted or not, probably, but you're going to obviously, if something bad happens, you'll, you'll blame the person in office. Now, with Trump, they, because the radical left, the elites, the media, all the institutions, popular culture, they're all on the side of anti-Trump because they've literally said Trump is worse than Hitler. They were going to do anything necessary to get him out of office. From the beginning, the narrative was the same, regardless of the facts. That What they were saying in the media was Trump mishandled COVID. Trump mishandled the um, lockdowns because he prevented travel from abroad. Although I think you know the left said he should have shut down travel from abroad from China and the areas with a lot of COVID. Then when he did it, they said, you're a racist for doing it, of course, because they're constantly moving the goalposts. Right. But they said he did everything wrong from the the uh, handling of COVID and the travel and the restrictions and the masks and the vaccines. They said he did everything wrong along the way. He got the vaccine. He, working with the private sector, for better or for worse, got the vaccine developed in record time with Operation Warm Speed. And the left gives him still no credit. We all know Kamala Harris and Biden and all the left said they wouldn't take the vaccine if it was done while Trump was in the White House. As soon as he leaves, they say the vaccine is God's gift to Earth. So, you know, they can have it both ways. But yeah, we saw, especially with the uh, scaring people from voting, to in order to maximize mail-in voting, which we know it's the best way to cheat, right? Because right. mail out tons of mail-in ballots, bring back in, you can harvest them and bring back in uh, 50 million votes in every state. Mail-in because it's totally anonymous. You don't have to present ID or register to vote or anything. People were, you know, sending well, out- We have to do it because of COVID. We have to do it exactly. because of COVID because you can't have it be standing in line. You don't, you have to stop the spread, you know, 18 months later or whatever it was. Exactly. That that was one of the biggest things. And, and once they, they were able to convince everyone that if they vote in person, they're all going to die. Even if you already had COVID and you wear a million masks, why can't they just wear two masks? and you know, be six feet apart and vote in person. Why can't they vote all day or extend it to three days of in-person voting? Nope, it has to be mail-in voting. So right away, for months prior, we knew they were going to use that to cheat, which now, again, I have a tremendous article as well, one of the longest articles with just thousands of pieces of data of election improprieties, meaning fraud, and a lot of reasons I don't trust the election. I never did trust elections. And that's that's on libertyblock.com, correct? Yep, yep. libertyblock.com. If you type in the search bar, uh, evidence or election fraud or why the election was not really uh, totally super safe at sound like they claim. You'll see tons of sources of all the Spanish states, but they did in Pennsylvania. And this is and this is where we get into the dictators. The state governors, formerly governors, became dictators when they shut out the legislature. Because just for a quick civics lesson, I know it's complicated, but we'll try to follow here. The legislature writes legislation and they're called the legislative branch, right? We think it makes sense. They write legislation, they're legislators. 
But what dictators did was they said, no, it's an emergency. It's been going on for a year, but still it's an emergency because every day we're all going to die. We can't convene a legislature. So the dictators should have 100% broad carte blanche powers to do whatever they want. Even And the courts have ruled they can suspend any constitutional right, any natural rights. They can suspend it forever because it's an emergency because everyone's dying. So state dictators, one of the many things they did, like our dictator made, I think, 86 executive orders. He was able to shut down restaurants and all that stuff and shut down churches. But one of the things they did was they switched the, the voting. They totally changed the voting laws, which obviously only a legislature could do. According to the U.S. Constitution, only state legislatures can switch voting laws, like allow for mail-in ballot or extend a few weeks in advance and a few weeks post-election extend the, the uh, voting timeline. So dictators in, uh, I think, Pennsylvania, Dictator Wolf did this, and North Carolina did this, and I think a lot of the swing states did this. And, you know, uh, sure enough, they won Georgia, uh, yes. they won Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and a lot of these states, the dictators single-handedly, meaning illegally, extended voting, allowed for mail-in voting, allowed for the votes to be counted, even if they had no signature and they weren't uh, mailed into the vote in time. So the state dictators also assisted in this whole national election boondoggle and it was all under the guise of covid because we have to have mail-in ballot and now with hr1 in congress which they're going to pass they're going to make it like the 2020 election forever saying covid's gonna last forever you know let's have mail-in voting forever so democrats can keep forever right so i mean that's it so you're seeing covid as a means in a pan you know to panic people fear move money around take power so it's been very useful um Where's where can people get where's the best place for people to get the book Corona Fascism? It's complicated, but uh, right now it's on Amazon. If they go to Amazon and they, they search for my name, they'll find the book. But I self-published it, and then when, when initially the title Corona Fascism, Amazon KDP took it down. They blocked it because mm -hmm. the title Corona Fascism triggered their censors. So I went to a publisher, Defiance Press and Publishing, did pick up the book, and I'm grateful they're publishing the book. On September 7th, they're officially releasing the book, and it'll be under the real title Corona Fascism. They're releasing it. It'll be on Amazon. It'll be in hopefully Barnes and Noble at some other stores, and it'll be on Audible. They already uploaded the audiobook to Audible. So if you look at Audible, gotcha. you find Corona Fascism. Currently, it's still under my self-publishing thing for the next few weeks, and it, the I had to switch the title because Amazon blocked it. The title is right. The Plague That Must Not Be Questioned. So if you search for my name, you can still find it on Amazon. But yeah, September 7th, Defiance Press and Publishing, the publisher, is going to release the book, and gotcha. then it'll be out there hopefully forever. And then it'll be under Alu Axelman, is that correct? Yes, that's the, new the official title, and they'll upload it onto Amazon from them. So I assume it'll be right. Alu Axelman or Elliot Alu Axelman. Either way, if you search my last thing, you'll probably find it. And is there anything you'd like to add or anything I missed before we wrap this up? The one big thing is just uh, check out libertylock.com. That's where I've written. I've written you know dozens and dozens of articles and done videos and podcasts. Thanks for posting the, the link there. Sure. We have a, a podcast also called The Liberty Block, and that's the, the hat I'm wearing. So the website, libertyblock.com, discusses freedom in New Hampshire and beyond and all over, mostly news and politics, but also just philosophical freedom. And follow us, Liberty Block, the podcast. Check out the book. And thank you so much, Mr. Ramsey, for having me. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you for uh, joining us. Uh, again, the title of the, the new – tell me the title of the new book. I'll, I'll say the old one, Corona Fascism, How Politicians Used a Virus to Eliminate Privacy, Enrich Themselves, and Put the Final Nail on Liberty's Coffin. The new one comes out September 7th. Can you tell me that title again, please? Yeah, Corona Fascism. Currently, it's on Amazon as the plague that must not be questioned. Okay. So this is this is the right title. That's the old one right there. Yeah, this I had to switch. Okay, I misunderstood that. Okay, I misunderstood that. Okay. 
So the new title is the is the right title. Okay, cool. Again, it's Alu or Elliot Axelman. Thank you so much, Elliot. Thank you. All right, take care. All right, you still there?